You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. So 2 Timothy is uh, where we've been. It's been our, uh, our series now for the last few weeks. We're in chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7 this morning. If you would, uh, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And in fact... I think we'll switch it up this morning. Have you guys read along with me so I'm not the only one reading, right? Let's give it a shot. should be on the screen in front of us. Let's begin in verse 1 together. Read along with me. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. That's the Word of God for... Uh, for the people of God this morning. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Pray, God, that you would help me, help me to communicate your word, to communicate the gospel, to magnify the name of Jesus this morning, to be helpful to your people. Pray, God, that you help all of us to have our hearts open to what you might say to us this morning. Help us to be receptive, to be obedient, but, but even more than that, Father, just to fall more in love with you. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may sit down. You may sit down. Question, want to start us off with, it's up on the screen in front of you. How do you entrust the gospel to other people? You might say, what does that even mean? How do you entrust the gospel to other people? Another way of asking this question that might make more sense is this. How do you make disciples who make more disciples? How do you do this? This letter that we're studying, 2 Timothy, now, this is the Apostle Paul's second letter to Timothy. Uh, but another way of looking at it too is it's also the 13th letter, it's the 13th and final letter from the Apostle Paul in the Bible. Apostle Paul wrote quite a bit of the New Testament that we have in front of us, and this is his 13th letter. Um, he's written a total of 13. And among those 13 letters that he's written, uh, we, we have uh, in the book of Acts, there's almost an entire chapter that is devoted to Paul's addressing the elders at the church of Ephesus. Okay? And then from there, you then have a book in the Bible, another letter to the church at Ephesus called Ephesians. We studied that a few years ago. Uh, the themes of that letter were sit, walk, stand, sit in your identity, who God made you to be, walk this way, no, walk in the way that God asks you to walk, instructs you to walk, stand firm in your faith with your armor on, right? That's, that's the book of Ephesians. So you have him addressing the elders of Ephesus in Acts, then you have the entire book of Ephesians with those themes, and then now you have 1 Timothy and Timothy is the pastor at Ephesus. And now then, you have 2 
Timothy. So, so really, I think when you look at all of the Apostle Paul's letters, I think he wrote more times to the church in Ephesus than any other church in the Bible. And I, just, I find that fascinating. I find that fascinating. Here we are studying that book, his 13th and final letter. Now, even as you do a study of all the Apostle Paul's writings, everything he has written, he's entrusting all of that to other faithful people who will then pass it on to others, right? He's trying to make disciples who will continue to make more disciples. So that's the, the object of a church outside of glorifying God with our lives. One of the major ways we do that is to make disciples who make more disciples. It's to reproduce ourselves in others. If you were to take all 13 of the Apostle Paul's letters and you were to try to like, condense it down to one kind of pinpoint message, right, out of all the run-on sentences that not only the Apostle Paul communicates, but you hear me communicate every Sunday. If you were to condense it down, I think you would say it's all about the gospel, right? It's all about the gospel. I think uh, Will did a really good job this morning of communicating what the gospel is. I think the Apostle Paul communicates it a number of different ways, but one very clear way that some of you would be uh, familiar with is uh, in his letter to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 15, here's what he says. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance. So he's saying this is the most important thing. Uh, what I also received. So catch that. He says, I received this and I delivered it to you. Right? It goes in line with verse 2 of our text today. Take what you've heard from me and pass it on to other faithful men. Make disciples who make disciples. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. What did he receive? Here's what he received. He says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive at the time of this writing, though some have fallen asleep, some have died. So Paul's aim, I think, in everything that he wrote was to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was to pass along the gospel that he had received to other faithful people who would then pass it on to others. That's what I think his aim is. I think the Apostle Paul lived his life as a faithful minister of the gospel. And I think his concern primarily in the message of the gospel communicating it was to make disciples who would make more disciples. And that, I think, is in accordance with the command of Jesus, right? From Matthew's gospel, where Jesus tells his disciples and then tells us, instructs us to make disciples who make disciples, and I would add, within a yard of hell. Okay. Up until now, in, in, there, in our study of this book up until now, the Apostle Paul has instructed Timothy to, number one, cultivate a godly legacy in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 1. He wanted to cultivate a godly legacy. He also instructed him to not be ashamed of the gospel and to guard the gospel in verses 8 through 14. And then finally, last week when we studied this, he, he, he instructed Timothy to be a faithful friend until the very end in verses 15 through 18 of chapter 1. And now as we dive into chapter 2, he turns his attention to giving Timothy some very practical instructions on how to make disciples, how to entrust the gospel 
to others. The first thing I see, uh, if you look at the text with me, the first thing I see in verse 1 is, and part of the way you answer that question, how do I entrust the gospel to others? Well, the first thing he tells Timothy is, you need to be strengthened by God's grace. First of all, right? You need to be strengthened by God's grace. And I think, when I think about this, this work, this ministry of making disciples who make other disciples, I think it's some of the hardest work on the face of the planet. I think it's some of the hardest work that our Savior instructed us to do. Um, outside of our own personal growth and holiness, of course, but I th- this is, that's hard stuff. Working with people is hard. The work of discipleship, I think, will just flat out wear you out sometimes, right? And I think, I think when, you're, when you're in that worn out stage in the midst of engaging the work of discipleship, on the other side, you'll be left feeling helpless, left feeling weak, left feeling like, I need some strength somewhere. And I think the Apostle Paul knows this. So that's why he tells Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus in verse 1. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So I think it's important to remember. To remember and to be reminded of the grace that has been extended to you and I. In the work of our crucified, risen, and returning Savior. Why? Because I think that that's the only fuel that will sustain us for the hard work of discipleship. Think of God's grace. The message of the gospel, when you think about God's grace in the face of Jesus, right, who died on that cross, that picture of God's grace to you and to me is that he gave us what we don't deserve. And the second part of that, if you were to bring mercy into this, is that he withheld what we actually deserve because of Christ's work at the cross. And so I think the applicable question for us, for you, for me, is how am I doing at being strengthened by the grace of God? You might even ask, how do you do that, right? We'll get to that in a little bit. How are you doing about being strengthened by the grace of God? Uh, Where else could you possibly be looking for strength, right? Self-help, pop psychology, bad group of friends, bottom of a bottle, isolating behind some games on your your cell phone. (laughs) A lot of places we might look for strength or escape. I see that. You're not supposed to point people next to you. You're supposed to point yourself. Okay, I'm just saying. (laughs) Where have you been looking for strength? The second thing I notice in the text is this. Paul tells Timothy to invest in faithful people, right? Invest in faithful people. Verse 2. Some of the most discouraging times, I think, uh, in the work of making disciples is this. Realizing that you have invested your resources in unfaithful people. You ever done that? You ever invested your time, your talent, your treasure in people who were actually unfaithful? People who take your investment, people who take it and trample it in the mud... They trample in the mud with their irresponsible living or their disrespectful attitudes or their destructive lifestyles. And then the crazy thing is, you know what this is like, right? When they, when they do that, you, you've invested in them and they blame you for their mess, right? It's like, wow. It's like a double slam. Um, I think Paul has definitely had his fair share of these kinds of people. These kinds of people who took his investment, trampled on it. If you look at verse 15 of chapter 1, if you look at verses 9 through 16 of chapter 4, he makes lists, he lists people's names. 
I think this is why he tells Timothy, take what you've heard from me, verse 2, in the presence of many witnesses, and entrust it to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So what Paul's telling Timothy is, hey, dude, you need to be careful to invest the gospel into the lives of faithful people who are actually producing fruit and reproducing other faith-filled, fruit-producing people. Right? That's, I think that's what he's telling. So my question is, when I, when I come to that point of application, is who is it that I'm investing in right now? Who am I investing the gospel in? Who is it that you are responsible for discipling? Outside of your family circle. And I think that's important because I think it's really easy for us to, you know, <laughs> kind of pass the buck and be like, oh, I got my kids, or my wife, or my husband. Or... Who are you discipling uh, right now? Who are you entrusting the gospel to? Who, who are you trying to reproduce yourself in? Not, and not just reproduce yourself, but greater than that, see Jesus reproduce through you in someone else who will then move on faithfully and do the same in someone else, right? And let me ask this. What are the barriers to you doing that? What are your excuses? I won't ask what reasons there are because all we have when it comes to this is excuses because this is a clear command from Jesus, right? What are my excuses and how do I need, what do I need to do to blow those barriers down? Can I also say that Facebook posts probably don't count as trying to make disciples? Okay? <laughs> really impersonal. I'm talking about face-to-face, walking with someone else, life-on-life, life, teaching the gospel to someone. You know what that does to you, right? Like You, you have to start to know your crap. <laughs> You can't sit down with somebody and try to pass along the gospel to them if you don't know it. But then at the same time, there's an excuse, right? Well, I don't really know it very well, so I have to wait maybe five years before I start doing that. No, 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 no. You can get started now. So again, assess and evaluate by the power of the Spirit. Let Him speak to you about what those excuses are and, and maybe figure some ways out in terms of busting through those barriers. There are others in this room, I think, who would love to help you walk that journey. And it doesn't have to be me either, just so you know. There's, there's others in this room that can do that. Next thing I see the Apostle Paul saying, number three, is be like the soldier, be like the athlete, be like the farmer, right? Be like the soldier, be like the athlete, be like the farmer. When you think about this whole thing in terms of discipleship, right? You think about discipleship. It's relational work. It's face-to-face, life-on-life work. It means <laughs> that it's messy work, okay? And if there's, if there's a person in this room who's not messy, would you please raise your hand for me? Because I would like to hang it. Oh, <laughs> we're all messy, right? No matter how clean we try to make ourselves look on Sunday mornings, we're all messy. Relationships are messy. Disagreement happens. Misinterpretation happens, right? We're sinners. One of the books I used to love to take uh, couples through in premarital counseling is a book called um, When Sinners Say I Do. It's by Dave Harvey. Um, it's a fascinating book. It's a good book because it's all about how you put two sinners in the same room, make them married, have them sleep in the same bed, and do the same dishes, use the same... I mean, it's just, it becomes a mess. You know? 
I hear people say all the time, you know, church would be great if there were no people in it. Or if there were just more of me in it. (laughs) we, We probably don't say those things specifically, but we think that way. But the reality is you wouldn't have no church, you wouldn't have no marriage, you wouldn't have no friendships if you didn't have relationships. And I can't find anywhere in Scripture where God says, hey, Joe, you should go build a log cabin in the woods and just hide out there. I wish that he did, because it's what I would do, where I would be. Middle of the mountain somewhere. Colorado or the Black Hills. I can't figure out which one. One of those two places. God doesn't say that, though. Discipleship is about relationships. And in the midst of that, uh, it's messy. Obviously, I think if you look to Jesus, uh, Jesus is probably the best example on how to be a disciple maker. Um, But I think what the Apostle Paul does here in this letter uh, is I think he gives a nice visual picture. Um, Kind of a modern example of visual picture of of what it looks like to make disciples, right? I think this is why Paul says this, says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Uh, Prince of Preachers, uh, Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorites. If you ever make it into my office downstairs in the basement, if you dare to venture to the basement, um, I have a big picture of Charles Spurgeon. He's got a big beard, bald head. Now you know. Okay. Um, Spurgeon, I think, latched onto this imagery of being a good soldier of Christ Jesus and would refer to Jesus as his captain refer to himself as soldiers. We refer to his congregation as soldiers. Get up, onward soldiers, let's go. It's the way he would preach, booming loud voice in the church he led. Sharon suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuit since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete, Paul says, is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. What does all this mean? Well, you got three images, right? Got three images. Got the soldier, got the athlete, got the farmer. And this is what Timothy needs to be like. This is what we need to be like as we engage the hard and often messy work of making disciples. If you're going to boil this down, I think it kind of sounds like this. You and I, Timothy, uh, we need to welcome suffering instead of seeking comfort. Write that one down. Welcome suffering instead of seeking comfort. I don't know about you, but I like to take risks and I like the adventure of some things, but I don't know that I just like go out headlong looking to suffer. Nine times out of ten, I I seek comfort, you know. But Paul tells Timothy, hey, you need to welcome some suffering. You need to share in that, be a part of that. And link arms with suffering instead of looking for comfort. You need to aim to please God, not man, like a good soldier. A good soldier has been enlisted by God. Seek to please God. Don't seek to please men or women. Humans. Needs to play according to the rules, right? An athlete plays according to the rules, gets crowned for that. So therefore, we need to play by the rules. Well, I, th- I think that means practicing the basic spiritual doctrines or, or disciplines, not doctrines, knowing doctrines and practicing disciplines. That would be good. That's, what, that's how we play by the rules. It also needs to plant seeds of the gospel and enjoy investing in those who then produce fruit and reproduce themselves in others, right? So here's just a, like a fire hose of questions real fast. 
in what ways can you embrace suffering instead of chasing comfort as it comes to discipleship? In what ways can you embrace suffering instead of chasing comfort as it pertains to discipleship? Uh, Where do you find yourself seeking human approval over God's approval in the work of making disciples? Uh, Maybe these are some of the barriers for you in, in engaging in that. Are there some areas where you need to like step up your game as it pertains to playing by the rules? Do, do you need to step up your game in terms of practicing basic spiritual disciplines? And what are those? Sunday gatherings, community groups, studying your Bible, praying personally, practicing evangelism. Those are just some. Those are some of the basic disciplines. So you're, you're never going to get into a foot race with somebody if you don't practice regularly, right? Well, you can get in the foot race, but you're sure as heck ain't going to win it. You've got to practice that regularly, right? Same with any kind of sport. Let me ask this last question on this point. Who's looking to you? Who is it that's looking to you? Outside of your immediate family, okay? I think that's fair. I think that's fair to ask it that way. Outside of your immediate family, who is it that is looking to you to plant the seeds of the gospel in them right now? Who's coming to you and saying, what does God's word say on this? What does God want me to do on this? How do I deal with this according to God's word? Who's coming to you in that way right now? Another way of asking that question would be, uh, what, what is the spiritual lineage that you not only come from, but that you are producing? Right? I have a dad when it comes to somebody who brought me to the Lord. I have a grandpa, meaning there's somebody that brought him to the Lord. I have some spiritual children, people that I've trained and taught, taught right the Bible. That's some spiritual grandchildren, maybe. When you think about lineage, you think about it that way. What, where are you in that lineage? Okay, last thing that I see in the text is this. Uh, pay attention and trust God. That's what Paul tells Timothy basically at the very end in verse 7 is, hey, pay attention and trust God. Uh, When I think about the hardship that I personally have faced in this work of making disciples, I find that it originates not so much with what everybody else does and all the mistakes they make, although it's really hard not to get caught up in that. True? It doesn't really originate with everybody else, the hardship in doing discipleship. The hardship in discipleship really originates more with me not paying attention to what God has said and not trusting the Lord. When I get distracted from meditating on God's Word, when I get distracted from asking Him to help me understand I get distracted by what everybody else is doing, how bad they're messing up, and so on and so forth, and yada, 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 right? When, when, I, when, I, when I go there, what, what happens is I wind up not trusting God for the results, and I begin working in my own flesh, my own strength. I don't want to work in my own flesh. My, my flesh will fail me. I don't want to work in my own strength because my own strength is weak. I want to work in, in, the, in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Like, go here with me for a minute. Just take this aside real fast. This little, this little bunny trail with me real quick. You think about the disciples, right? If you know the story... You know that Jesus walks with these disciples for a few years, then he goes to the cross, right? And he dies. And on that night when he dies, where are all the disciples at? They fled. They left him. He's all alone, right? 
And up until that point, it's like he's constantly changing diapers with these disciples, right? Constantly rebuking them, constantly correcting them, and they're constantly trying to do things in their own strength. And all that culminates on the night of Jesus' death. They bail. And then the resurrection happens. Right? And then he, then he talks to all the disciples. And they see him alive. And they get this resurrection power going on inside of them. And he tells them, hey, go back. Go back to Jerusalem and wait there. Wait there until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you. And then you will be my witnesses, my disciple makers within a yard of hell, right? You might say it that way. And so they go back obediently. The Holy Spirit comes, rushing winds, right? All throughout the room, you get tons of fire on their heads, and they're speaking and babbling in tongues. And they go outside, and people are like gathered from all over the place, from a whole bunch of different nations. They're like, yo, you guys are freaking trash. Y'all had a party last night. And the disciples are like, no, no, we didn't have a party. What happened is the Holy Spirit just came and filled us. And then pretty soon, all these other nations that are there are hearing the gospel preached in their own languages. So, so what happened in, over the course of about 50 days from the time that Jesus is raised from the dead, tells him to go reach uh, the, the whole world, tells him to go wait for the Holy Spirit. And so they do. In that 50 days, after he ascends to heaven, right? Ascension. From there, 50 days or so until the day the Holy Spirit comes. What happened? What changed from the night of his death when they all fled and left? And now roughly 50-some days later, these guys are out in the streets, babbling in tongues, preaching the gospel. And from that point forward, you read the entire book of Acts, and what you find is a group of dudes and women who were absolutely on fire for God. I mean, Jesus came and decided to make this plan to transform the entire world with 12 people that's crazy and all of them left the night he died and yet after they went and were filled with the holy spirit they had all this power and they changed the world we're sitting here today because of their obedience by the power of the spirit as they trusted god they were transformed and they made disciples who made disciples who made disciples within a yard of hell. And here we are, right? It's a few more than 12 of us in the room. So I thank God for that. I mean, Jesus got 12 probably because he was perfect. At least he gave us as a church a little bit more than 12. Because we're all not perfect. There's no perfect person here, right? But we do have access to the Spirit. We do have access to God's Word. We do have the ability... And the charge to trust God for understanding and strength, I think, as we do this work. And I think that's why Timothy, or Paul tells Timothy in verse 7, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Right? Say it again. Think over what I say. Meditate on this. Focus on this. God's Word. Because the Lord will give you understanding in everything. You ever heard that phrase that says knowledge is power? It's the Holy Spirit that gives us understanding. The knowledge and the wisdom from God's word to then make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So Timothy simply needs to pay attention to God's word and exert his trust in God by asking for understanding. And in that way, in that way, what Timothy will do is he will be a faithful 
disciple. And not just a faithful disciple, but a faithful disciple maker who then labors day in and day out to make other disciples as he trusts God with the results. And I'd say that's the other part of this, is that you and I, Timothy, we're called to do the work. We're not called to produce the results. that's That's what the Holy Spirit does. So I have this phrase that I use oftentimes when I'm sitting down with someone. Oftentimes I have to say, hey, I can't be your Holy Spirit. I can't be your Holy Spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit. Only one. I'm not Him. Neither are you. Our job is to be faithful, be obedient to God's Word. This is what I think God might say to you. And you've got to test that out. See if that's the Holy Spirit speaking. You've got to test it out by God's Word, right? That's on you. My job is to be faithful and lay it out there for you. Trusting God with the results. So now by way of application, we've done a little bit of application in the midst of this. But as we kind of looked at what Paul has told Timothy in regards to making disciples, that's hard work, right? It's hard work. I believe it's something that God has called every believer to do, according to Matthew 28. It's hard, messy, relational work. I think it's really hard to know how to do it, hard to know how to make disciples. So I think that's why the Apostle Paul has told Timothy here, hey, be strengthened by God's grace. Invest in faithful people. Be like the soldier, be like the athlete, be like the farmer. Pay attention, trust God. Do this, jump in, get into the action. The question for us is how do we do that, right? How do we apply this? How do we put this into action in our own lives? I've got four or five Things that I wrote down will be up on the screen for you. First, I think we need to participate in the ordinary means of grace. Participate in the ordinary means of grace. It's all in front of you and me, right? We, we have the opportunity to do that. When, when Paul instructed Timothy to be strengthened by God's grace as he labored to make disciples, what, what did he mean, right? How do you do that? How do you be strengthened by God's grace? Well, I talked earlier about you and I needing to receive grace and understand what it is. We've gotten so much more than we ever deserved. And God has withheld what we deserved as well when you bring mercy into it. I said that earlier, right? <clears throat> when I think about how I can be strengthened by God's grace, I think about basically the historical teachings of the church from early on, and what we see the church doing in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. When you go to the Bible and you look at that, what do you see them doing? You see them gathering on Sundays. You see them studying the Bible. You see them fellowshipping together in community groups. You see them praying. You see them receiving communion on a regular basis. In fact, it even says day by day. That's like every day. Daily, I think it says, they're doing this. That's, like, that's a lot more than we ask of ourselves here in America. It's about making it a priority. Hey, when, again, when, when I think about this, when I think about like, being strengthened by God's grace, uh, I think about what it's like to get uh, you know, weak and thirsty. You ever get weak because you're thirsty? It's a hot day. Have you ever drank enough water? So you, you get the shakes a little bit. You haven't drinking enough water, you're getting dehydrated. I'm out working in my yard, and this happens sometimes because I get so focused on the work that needs to be done, I forget to get nourishment for myself. Jesus did the same thing, and the disciples were like, Yo, have you had anything to eat today? You're getting kind of wild over there. He was like, No, nah, my food is to do the will of my Father in heaven. 
Right? But if you look at Jesus' life, man, he spent time praying, spent time with the Father, spent time, the regular means of receiving God's grace. You and I need hoses, pipelines. If you think about hoses, I think about that hot day again, you know, when I'm out there mowing the yard, doing the yard work. One of the most refreshing things outside of some of the stuff that's in my garage fridge is a hose with some cold water. Have you ever drink out of the end of the hose? Some of you are probably too afraid to get sick. But I, don't, I grew up drinking out of hoses on a farm, so I'm still here today, just saying. <laughs> that is so refreshing when you grab a hold of it. And you know, the hose is just laying there. It's always available. It's on me to go pick up the dang hose and drink out of it, right? And that's what you and I need. We need pipelines or hoses that pump God's grace into us. And can I also say, I don't think watching church on TV counts. Here's one reason I say it. You can find a whole lot better church services than you can find that we pipe out there, number one. But number two, you're getting fed, yeah. But you're, getting, you're only getting a trickle out of that hose because you're missing everything else that you need. You're missing it, right? It's just a trickle. It's just a little bit. So good for you getting some. But I would simply say you're missing the fellowship. You're missing face-to-face -face interaction. You're missing being known. You're missing knowing others, truly knowing and being a part of a family. That's, that's what we're missing when we go there. So good tool, yes. Great to have videos available to disciples during the week. Man, if you're missing community groups, you're missing Sunday gatherings, you're, you're missing one-on-one -on -one study of God's Word, missing studying God's Word in a group with others, like in a woman's group or a men's group, the hose is right there. You just got to pick it up. You got to participate in the regular means of grace. I need to move on. Second thing I notice is that we need to be responsible for others. Need to be responsible for others. Let me say this. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like the king of saying really harsh things. That's not in my notes. That's not what I wanted to say. I just want to preface what I'm about to say by saying that, okay? Maybe that'll soften a little bit. Here's the thing. Healthy churches, I think, produce healthy disciples. Healthy churches produce healthy disciples instead of sick consumers. That's the harsh thing, <laughs> in case you're wondering. Healthy churches produce healthy disciples instead of sick consumers. Leave that there. I think the key to producing healthy disciples instead of sick consumers, I think, is found in the one another phrases of the Bible. Let me say it again. The one another phrases of the Bible. Uh, the phrases uh, uh, one another, the phrase one another, is used approximately 100 times throughout the New Testament. Catch that. One another, meaning... Me to Abe, Patrick to Abe, or Nancy to Kim. It's, it's the one another's, right? Throughout that, there's roughly a hundred uses of that phrase. <laughs> and they're there, I think, to help us to become responsible spiritually for other people. So the work of making disciples is literally putting those one another phrases into practice. Uh, ultimately, once you become a believer, here's what I believe. I'm pretty sure the scriptures support this all the way through. When you become a believer, it's not just a get out of hell card. 
If that's the only reason you're in church is the get out of hell card, you probably don't have a get out of hell card. Because you submitted to him as Savior, but you didn't submit to him as Lord. And as Lord and King, he instructs us to be obedient in this work of discipling others, which means we become responsible for other people, other believers, making other believers, and then continuing to care for those other believers. So here's what I think happens. And I think this happens primarily in the American church. We fall into this false notion that the paid pastor is supposed to be responsible for all of the care of everyone in the church. Okay, That's what we think, because we, we view it like an American business model. CEO with board members, and then constituents. It's a mixture between American business and American politics, actually, I think. Which comes out of English politics, just saying. I think we, we, we fall into that false notion. Um, the reality is, yes, pastors are called to care for the flock. Elders are care, called to care for the flock, and so are deacons. The members of a church family are also called to care for one another. So I think for us, um, moving forward, I think you're going to hear more about this. Um, I think for us, as our, as our elder team and other leadership teams discuss some of this stuff, I think, I think it'd be a really good step for us as a church to assign every member to another member, not another member in your house. Just you are responsible. Michael, you're responsible for Abe, right? You got to reach out to him every week. You got to check on him, see how he's doing. Got to pray for him. If he starts resisting you and that kind of thing or starts dropping off, then you should probably come talk to a pastor or a deacon so we can go figure out what's going on. And so on and so forth. I think we need to have our members be responsible for other members to provide ongoing encouragement, prayer, care. How about correction? Every time something goes on tilt in somebody's life does not mean that a pastor needs to step in on that. Other members should be growing in maturity to the place to where we do this for each other, right? And then there's also the follow-up. There's, there's 911 situations that happen, right? Like, you know, somebody cuts their thumb off working with a saw, which didn't exactly happen, but it was close. You know, somebody cuts their thumb off or something like that, has to go to the hospital. Sure, call, call pastors, call, call, call deacons, right? We'll, we'll make those trips. You know, something goes on tilt in somebody's marriage and... The house is burning down, for sure, make some phone calls there. But also call that member who's responsible for you so that they know too, right? Like there needs to be some member care, I think, that needs to take place uh, for us. And I think that if everybody here, uh, I, I really believe that if we all took it upon ourselves to be responsible for another person, then I think that we as a church would grow in greater health. I think, I think this would be a good way to, to practice this work of passing along to other people, people would have been entrusted to us. Third point of application. I want to try to blast through these last few. Um, I think I've given you guys a lot. It feels like a fire hose, doesn't it? The notes are online, so is the audio, so you can go back and check it out, okay? <laughs> Just make sure that's not the only food you're eating. Okay, bad joke. Third, third, I think we need to choose suffering over com comfort, right? Choose suffering over comfort. We talked about this a little bit ago, too. It's not natural. It's not a natural tendency for us um, to choose suffering over comfort. 
Um, but that, honestly, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul tells Timothy to do as he labors to make disciples. Here's the thing. Listen to this. Consumers seek comfort, but disciple makers embrace the pain and suffering of doing the hard, messy work of teaching and applying the gospel in the context of relationships. So, so I think the behavior of a disciple maker is the kind of behavior that mimics Jesus' willingness and even joy in suffering so that other people would be served and, and ultimately saved, right? That, that's the ultimate goal. At the end of the day, I think contributors will suffer and will sacrifice, but I believe consumers will just seek comfort and they will just love to be spectators. And we do a good job of building spectators in America. Lots of entertainment. I mean, I spectated the Husker game yesterday. I'm going to tell you, it was not fun again. It's been years of being a consumer of Husker product, and I'm tired of it. And in the church, we are not called to be consumers, spectators. We're called to be contributors who suffer and sacrifice. And so the question for each of us is, which one are you? And which one will you become? Maybe another question is, what would it take for you to grow in that area? To suffer, to sacrifice tribute four fourth thing you need to be like the soldier the athlete and the farmer right when paul gives timothy this visual aid of the soldier the athlete the farmer what he's doing again is he's he's describing someone who aims to please god right plays by the rules enjoys the fruit of his labor pleasing god i would say is far more rewarding than trying to please people you cannot please god by hiding out in isolation talked about that the rules of making disciples, I think, is this. Keep a close watch on yourself so that you can give to others what you have been given. The call of a disciple maker is to plant the seeds of the gospel into the invisible crevices of other people's hearts while trusting God for the results. Let me say that again. The call of a disciple maker, the call that's on each of you and me, is to plant the seeds of the gospel into the invisible crevices of other people's hearts while trusting God for the results. It's hard, hard work, hard, hard labor. Farmers know all about that. You just plant seeds in the invisible crevice lines all throughout the field. You don't see nothing. You just pray and hope that God... It comes and waters that, and you've you got to faithfully water that too and fertilize that, but the result is up to God. And when that plant comes up and when it produces some fruit or some corn, because we're in Nebraska, it's up to God. It takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of strength, which you now found in the grace of God if we're following through, right? So we need to be more like the soldier, the athlete, the farmer as we seek to make disciples. We need to aim to please God as we invest in people. We need to re be responsible for our own personal growth. Help others to grow spiritually as well. We need to engage in the work of planting the seeds of the gospel and trusting God for the results. Number five, and finally, last point. I think we need to put this into action and trust God. All right? Simple, but hard. <laughs> Simple, but hard. Put it into action. Trust God. It's a no-brainer, really, this last piece. But it's a no-brainer. But again, it's hard. It's hard to practice spiritual disciplines. I'll admit that. Hard to be responsible for others. Hard to choose suffering over comfort. Hard to be like a soldier. Hard to be like an athlete. Hard to be like a farmer when you're laboring to make disciples. 
All those things are only going to be possible. You're only going to do these things if you listen to God's word and if you trust him for understanding, you keep going back to him and ask him, God, help me. Sometimes those are the only three words I say in prayer. God, help me. God, help me as I study. God, help me as I talk with this person. God, help me as I go into that meeting. God, help me. Sometimes the best prayer you can utter is work is hard. It's going to take you out of your comfort zone if you're going to put this stuff into action. I encourage you, ask the Spirit to show you where you need to take a step of action. Ask Him where you need to get into this, where you need to commit to making disciples, and then trust Him in the midst of that to help you. Conclusion. I want to conclude this way. It's really just a bit of a summary. I want to point to Jesus, too. I want you to think on Jesus as we come down to the end of thinking about how to make disciples. Okay? Again, something that I think every believer is called to. If you're a believer or if this is your church home, you're called to this. It's going to be hard work. Thankfully, you got the Apostle Paul here. And you got Timothy, right? And you got the Apostle Paul's words to Timothy. And then you got God's instructions through Paul in the midst of all this. But then you also have the picture of Jesus, right? You think about Jesus, and we thought about him some, I hope, as we've worked through this. When you think about the picture of Jesus, I mean, he made disciples perfectly, right? Think about the night that he washed feet. This one, this one, I just, this always blows me away. The night that he washed his disciples' feet. You know who was sitting there, right? Dude named Judas. Dude named Judas. Iscariot, the betrayer, sold Jesus out for a couple of pennies. Same thing you and I do every time we choose sin over our Savior. It's the same thing you and I do every time we choose disobedience over obedience. Same thing you and I do when we choose consumerism over being a contributor. I mean, the list goes on. Jesus washed Judas's feet. That's a picture of discipleship. He washed his enemies' feet. He loved his enemies. It's hard work. He died alone on a cross while his disciples vanished into the night. And at that point, every American business book written on how to be successful in business would have called Jesus an absolute failure. Yo, all the people you're working with, they're gone, bro, and you're dying on a cross. Failure. Epic failure but we know the story doesn't end there in fact we know that's actually the tip-top point of the story right we know that as he left the tomb empty on the third day and when he left that tomb empty he came out in this resurrection power and he came to his disciples and he said from this point forward i will be with you i'll be with you to all those who left him all the disciples he was making that left him and he came and he said, now go make disciples the same way you've seen me do it. And no, I will be with you. All authority has been given to me, he says. All the power in the world has been given to me and I will be with you. You will be empowered. You will now be authorized to do what you've seen me do, which is to make disciples that leads to your death. And every one of them he was speaking to that day died horribly. The idea of discipleship is that you pick up a cross and you carry it just like your Savior. That's why I said earlier that 
Man, it, like, like if you think you're a believer just because you said some funky little prayer because you went to church a few times, right? And like you're getting out of hell and that, that's it for you. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make like a strong statement, but I'm just not so sure that you're completely there, right? Because I don't know if Jesus can be your Savior if He's not also your King. And he, he, if He's your King, then you're beginning to walk in greater obedience to what He's called you to. You're picking up your cross daily, you're walking forward, and you've got others behind you carrying their cross too. This is Jesus. That's what He did. Left that tomb empty on the third day, gave us a note describing our mission to make disciples within a yard of hell. At the end of the day, I leave us on this note. Ain't none of us in this room suffered like Jesus yet. We ain't suffered like him yet in our ministry. And what that means to me is that you and I can pick up our crosses with great joy. With great joy. Looking at the, that bloody cross. Looking at that empty tomb. Remembering the hope of heaven. And we can invite others to join us in the journey. That, I think... It's how you make disciples who make disciples within a yard of hell. Amen? Just stand and pray with me. Father, thanks for your word. Thank you for your work at the cross. Pray, Father, as we come to that place in our gathering where we celebrate communion in light of what we've just heard from your word, I pray, God, that you would not just in this moment, seal within us the things that you are calling us to, but also, God, give our hearts joy. Help us to celebrate the work that you did at that cross. Help us to celebrate that knowing that in all of our imperfection, all of our sin, all the times we bailed on you, you still said, I'm with you. I'm with you till the very end. Help us to celebrate find peace, rest, and joy in that. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.